main speaker tonight is Tika. Thank you. My name's Tika and I'm an alcoholic. Um, uh, Rich, thank you so much for asking me to speak. Um, I'll get my stats out of the way right out, off the bat before I start crying. Um, my sponsor is uh, Lisa. Um, and uh, I've worked the 12 steps as they're outlined in the big book. Uh, the Atlantic Group is my current home group. And, and I do service in AA as well. And I also, you know, sponsor a bunch of amazing, beautiful uh, young women who've um, given me the privilege and honor to, to help them and to be on the front lines with them and, um, and to be open and vulnerable with me, which is amazing. And, and I've been able to share uh, what I've learned in AA with, uh, with other people, which is a, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, when I first came into AA, I was about 23 years old, um, and I thought my life was over, I really did, I thought my life was over, I was going to be, <clears throat> you know, I don't know, like going to like a convent somewhere and have to just like surrender all like exciting um, aspects of uh, being a young person and it's going to be miserable and I was never going to have fun again and I was just going to have to go to bed at like 10 o'clock and have no life. And, you know, it was quite different, very, very different from that. And if you're new uh, to AA, I want to welcome you. Um, it's an incredible opportunity. Um, you really have won the jackpot. If you can come here and stay and just have enough willingness to kind of hold on to your seat and... I guess log into these Zoom meetings and uh, and just listen. You know, uh, when I first picked up my first drink, I was 12 years old, and I am now a mother of two. I have a five, a six-year-old, and a nine-year-old. And my husband is going to be celebrating tonight 18 years. And they, I just heard them say, "Why are you dressed so fancy?" Um, but he's all ready to go in uh, Atlanta group attire. But we've you know, I, when I was 12, now I see 12-year-olds, and it's just, like, so, so young, way too young to be drinking. And I remember when I discovered alcohol, um, I was coming off of um, my, my mother's divorce to my biological father, who has uh, died of this disease. Uh, his dad died. I like to just kind of paint this picture for you if you're wondering about how alcoholism really annihilates families and takes decades off of your life that could have been. Um, my biological, my, so my bio, my grandfather, on my father's line, that's where my alcoholism, I really think I inherited it genetically. Um, he died at 58. Uh, his father, my grandfather, at 68. My, my biological father at 58. And then my brother passed away at 48. So it's like each generation are losing 10 years, which is scary. And, and I'm the only one sober in my, my family and, you know, it's pretty, pretty incredible because my kids have not seen me drunk, thank God. And um, I'm hoping uh, that I can kind of stop some of the, the dysfunction and the, and the pain and the, the, wreck, the wreckage that happens as a result of this. What it, what it does to families is really, really horrific. Um, so the first time I drank... Um, Again, I was 12, and I had kind of been 
you know, visiting my, my, my biological father on the weekends, that was getting kind of less and less. Um, I was living with my mom and my incredible, I call him dad, but he's my stepdad. He's, I think, on the Zoom call. Um, and I would go visit my biological father and, you know, the beer bottles would pile up and, and let's just say, you know, it was like three like, young guys living together now that I, as an adult, in retrospect, it was just not a priority. Let's just put it that way. And so, um, there was a lot of partying and, and I would watch it and I would see that there was something really exhilarating about it. Um, and so the first opportunity that, that I had, um, to discover it, uh, I did. And I remember it was Samantha, Samantha, I won't say her last name because we're being recorded, not that she's an alcoholic, but so over at Samantha's house and her mom was away and we broke into her mom's cabinet and we took a bunch of Dixie cups and we just started making little drinks and cocktails. We had no idea what we were doing and we were obviously lightweights, but I got pretty drunk, uh, made a mess on her white carpet on the stairs. Um, vaguely remember getting home. Uh, I think I passed out at like 5.30 at night, which was odd. And I got in trouble. So I got in trouble the first time I ever drank. And I remember just thinking, like, I cannot wait to do that again. And so then it started this kind of, because my my parents where I was living with were pretty strict. And there wasn't a lot of booze or drinking in the house. I, I recognized really quickly that I needed to be kind of secretive about it. And so, you know, fast forward, I'm like 14. I'm sewing. I, I have a passion for sewing. And I was sewing at 14, 15 and like sneaking drinks at night. I'm drinking by myself at 15, which is just not normal. <laughs> and um, and it really did, did do something for me. It kind of <clears throat> took away fear, made me feel, uh, made, made me feel like in the moment and comfortable in my skin and present. Um, you know, people describe you know, alcoholic being, uh, alcoholics being restless, irritable, and discontented. Our big book describes that. Uh, for me, I definitely felt that. Like, I always felt like I was in the wrong place. I was the wrong age. I should be older. Like, I can't wait to be older. Like, it was just never, never right. And for some reason, when, when I would drink, I think, because I'm alcoholic, it would just, like, immediately always right in the world. And I was able to connect with you. And I didn't really care what anybody else thought. And that was just such a relief. And it worked for a long time. Um, I continued drinking, you know, uh, through high school. And then when I left for college and I was no longer under uh, the eyes of my parents, it was really like off to the races. And we're in an AA meeting, so I won't only touch on it, but there were a lot of other substances that were explored. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that I started with drinking and I ended with drinking. Um, and, you know, college was very difficult because all I really wanted to do was drink, connect with uh, people. <laughs> and, and what would happen is I'd start to set, you know, intentions, goals, right? And instead of, you know, what normal people would do is they would, you know, adjust their drinking to, uh, allow themselves to attain the goal. And what I was starting to do was like, oh, well, that goal is kind of getting in the way of my drinking, so I'll just change the goal. <laughs> and so it just was a series of like, okay, well, I'll change that goal. 
And then it was, um, you know, it was unfortunate for me because when, when I drink, I felt so uh, in the moment and everything felt so right that, you know, I would be in a relationship and maybe I'm doing a long distance relationship and the next thing I know I'm, I'm drinking and I'm so in the moment I would forget about, you know, wonderful, like this incredible relationship that I have. And, and I would throw anything like aside, essentially whatever was in front of me was the most important thing to me. And I really had little regard for how that affected other people. And <clears throat> I'll fast forward a little bit. Um, you know, the blackouts started to happen. Um, I used to call them grayouts because I would try to piece together, like, well, I kind of remember this, but then that happened before this. And, and then it got to the point where I just, there were big, huge chunks of the evening that I just didn't remember. And so now I'll fast forward. I'm a, you know, a young adult. I'm um, living on my own. Uh, I'm going to school. I'm also um, I'm also working, and and I'm drinking, and I'm I'm trying to uh, figure out my place in the world. And the drinking is starting to take on. You know, it's a daily thing. I'm drinking every every evening. I'm also <clears throat> smoking, and I'm doing all these things. I'm just really really hard on my body, and and. Uh, a series of events happened and my, my family uh, moved to New York and I was dating this break dancer and we were drinking constantly. It was just constant debauchery. Um, and they convinced me to move to New York. So I left New York and I moved to, uh, I mean, I left California and I moved to New York and, um, and I got really nervous because, um, I had gotten arrested in, in, Southern California. And so in New York, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get arrested. I didn't want to go to jail. And that really terrified me. So I stopped using any substances and I only drank. And I was working at a restaurant and this is where, when the big book talks about, um, you know, the physical allergy, um, which if you're alcoholic, there's this physical allergy component of it, and, and I would um, set these kind of goals for myself because um, I was starting to see that, like, my friends were, you know, getting into med school and were, um, thank you, Deborah, uh, were getting into med school and, you know, going to law school and starting really great careers. And I'm, like, working at a, <clears throat> at a like, fine dining restaurant, and I really don't have a plan. And... And I can see that my drinks, my drinking is escalating and escalating. And I'm starting to like sever relationships, particularly with women, because what would happen is um, during drinking escapades, like we have a misunderstanding. Maybe it's over a guy, maybe it's over whatever it is. And I just did not have the ability to admit when I was wrong, be vulnerable, forget about it. Um, and, and to work with people. And so what would happen is I just like cut people off. And so now I just, I have these group of friends that we drink constantly. Uh, we work, we sleep in really late. We work really late hours. We go out after work, going to clubs, we're going to bars, we're partying almost every other night. I mean, every night. And, and um, I moved here with two women. We had 
a bunch of fallouts. These ladies, we did no longer live together. And then I moved in with my, my parents and the drinking was really um, escalating. The restaurant was right across the street from their apartment. And, um, and I make these resolutions where, okay, I'm not going to drink tonight. And, um, and I was, I was in charge of all the tables on the upstairs level. Uh, and there wasn't really anybody watching me. And so what would happen is somebody, a non-alcoholic couple would order a bottle of wine and they would, um, they would, you know, not finish it, which is insane to me. I still today think that's insane when people don't finish drinks, but, um, they wouldn't finish it. And then I would be, you know, clearing their table and I'd have this like half bottle of very expensive wine. And, you know, even though I had said at the beginning of the shift, I'm not drinking. Um, I'm going to go home, you know, at 1130 after my shift. And then I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go jog around the reservoir. And, you know, it's going to be different. And I'd be staring at that bottle of wine and I could have, you know, in retrospect, I could have easily just taken it back down to the bar and given it back to the bartender, but, uh, or given it to somebody else that I work with, but I just couldn't, I would just, and I used to just tell myself, okay, well, I'm just changing my mind. We'll do this tomorrow night. And then I would pour it in a glass, drink it. And then I would just completely forget about my, my plan, right. My, my game plan. And then I would be off to the races. And I used to always just, I would scratch my head because I'm like, okay, I have this plan. And it would just, every time, something like that, someone would, and then I'd start these little shenanigans where I knocked over a drink and then I would, um, you know, go down to the bartender and lie to him and say, this drink fell over, you know, I, we got to get another one. And then I would drink it. I would just have all these little ridiculous schemes. And um, my last big drunk, drunk was one of those, one of those nights. And I was out until about four in the morning. And, and I had cut the tip of my, uh, finger off playing, uh, pool, loved to play pool and it was bleeding. And I remember the bartender poured vodka and wrapped it up and I blood on my shirt and I like staggered home. I don't know. I don't remember getting home and I climbed into bed and then I got up to go vomit in the bathroom and my mom had gotten up and she kind of crossed paths in the hall and, and she saw me and I, I looked horrible and that was my moment where she kind of looked me in the eyes and she was pretty disgusted and and she just said you know you really need help and for some reason I like heard her I guess you know my mother's uh, love is not exactly uh, it's pretty conditional and I saw her just completely cut people out of her lives if they they drank the way I was drinking and so I think I got really scared because I didn't want to be homeless in New York City. <laughs> it would be, you know, not great. And um, and so I was fortunate to have health insurance at the time. I made calls. I called this therapist. She happened to be in AA. And I did one session with her. She essentially um, gave me the pamphlet, and then she asked about the drugs, and I checked them all off, and I added, like, three more drugs to her list that she could <laughs> maybe add to the checklist and, um, and then she, you know, asked me a little bit of back, about background on my family. And then she said, you know, one of my requirements is before we meet next week, I want you to go to one AA meeting. And fortunately I went to an AA meeting on the upper web, on the upper east side. It was not the Atlantic group. That was my second meeting. And I did, um, I did not like it. I cried the entire time. I was, came in right at the beginning and then I ran out. And then I came back and reported that they were not very nice in AA. 
And she said, try again. And so, and I happened to walk into the Atlantic Group Beginners meeting, and that's where I met my first sponsor, Jeannie. Um, oh, yeah, wow. She, on day 11, sat me down with, um, you know, at a diner with a big book. And it was not really negotiable, but we were going to go through it. And, and we did. And, you know, I'd love to say that the guy stayed sober ever since, but, you know, I got through the steps pretty quickly with her. And um, she, the reason I'm so emotional is because that was the first um, really, like, first human being that I was ever 100% honest with. And she really, like, taught me how to um, have, like, healthy relationships. And... And she was kind enough with her time and so generous and take my calls. And it was conditional on the fact that I needed to do the work. But other than that, it felt like unconditional love. And, you know, AA has taught me, you know, how to show up, how to be real, how to be honest. Um, um, how to trust not only in a higher power, which I did not believe in when I first came in, but slowly over time as a result of, you know, working the steps and particularly the ninth step. And if you're new and you've read that, I mean, I read that and I was like, not a shot. And, and my first relapse was after 10 months and I was scheduled to make my first ninth step event. And I just was... A real rookie with that. I was not taught really how to to make amends, how to, to admit when I was wrong and, and really try to in exactly how I was wrong and, and to articulate um, you know how I wanted to try to make it right if that was even possible and um, you now I would just like write people off and I missed so many opportunities as a result of um, as a result of my drinking and, and I just didn't mature because what I would do is I would drink and I would feel like the problem was no big deal. And it's funny because now as a result of going through the steps and learning how to bring, you know, a spiritual approach to things, um, you know, my life, I'm also learning how to like make things not that big of a deal. And so what the, the steps have done essentially is kind of given me a, a similar spiritual experience that booze did for me. Uh, and booze did it on a real low level with a lot of consequences and a lot of cost. And, but it does it for me in a way that, uh, you know, I get to heal and I get to be in reality and I get to not sever all my relationships <laughs> And my relationships actually even get to get deeper. And, you know, this disease, when you're active in it, um, 
it's so lonely. You know, when my when my my biological father died, he was estranged from our pretty much our entire family, and it's really sad because um, his mother, my grandmother, died during COVID, and you know he was active and out there, and it's like even with like the will, it's really sad. It's like, I get to see just in like how the value, it was almost like he, because he was really sick and he didn't get help. Thank you, Deborah. Um, not only did it just robbed him of everything. And, you know, so if you're new and you're on this zoom call, I mean, you have no idea how lucky you are. I mean, it's such a blessing. And, you know, it's a gift, sobriety. Like, I I, truly, I I, think about how reckless I was. I used to drive not sober all the time. And, like, I could have easily killed somebody. I could have easily killed myself. Um, and I drove places, my, like, my kid's sister was in the car. Like, so reckless. And... And, um, yeah, I learned a lot in AA and what's so beautiful about having a home group is, you know, I was like sitting in a backyard with Bonnie and Vince and like, I'm sitting like with somebody who has known me for 20 years and like, it was all my yuck and all my like, you know, stuff that's not pretty. I wouldn't necessarily want to like advertise <laughs> and, um, and I'm able to be real with them and, and there aren't judgments and I don't know, to be surrounded by the fellowship. The fellowship's incredible. And I love this simple thing, which I try to pass on to the, the women that I sponsor is that like, whenever I feel like stressed, just not right in the world in sobriety is I just like go to the three sides of the triangle, the unity, recovery, and service. And I, keep it so simple and I, there's always just like one part of it like okay I'm just like not reaching out to people and I'm like white knuckling everything and I'm making work too much priority and I'm you know it's like the fellowship or um the, re the recovery component of it you know with my prayer and my meditation and and I will report that um my meditation is finally like great <laughs> that was the, the slowest to materialize um, was my morning routine. And, you know, I used to wake up at like 11 back when I was drinking. So, um, to get up extra early is not easy for me. And, but that morning routine of, uh, getting quiet and writing and, uh, doing a little bit of reading, um, really sets the, sets the tone for the day. And I, um, I can hear my little, my higher power, like that little voice telling me, you know, like you may want to not do that <laughs> because it's going to make it hard to put your head on the pillow at night tonight. And then you're going to have to clean it up. And I don't like making amends. I really don't. I get, I perspire everything inside me tells me don't do it. And, um, you know, as a result of, of doing the work, my life in so many ways, it's been saved. And, um, and it's hard because if you do stay sober and you're new, like, you won't, I, I stopped, you know, sabotaging a lot of opportunities and a lot of stuff. My life has really grown. I have two beautiful, beautiful children. 
Um, my husband's amazing. We have a really great marriage. Uh, you know, I have a career. Um, I have incredible sponsees. I have incredible friendships. It's just, it's it's really, really beautiful. I have a working knowledge of, you know, my alcoholism and, and I know what to do with it. And um, yeah, it's a design for a living that really does work. And and it works in rough going too. You know, the pandemic has been really, really interesting. Thank you, Deborah. Um, hard in many ways, but I've been able to slow down. And I've had a lot of God and during very difficult times in my life, because life doesn't just stop. Um, I have felt like I've been carried and that's a result of coming to meetings, making meetings happen. That's what they mean by meeting makers make it is, uh, you know, getting involved and starting groups and starting meetings and taking people through the work. All of it is just, it's part of the deal. And it's what we have to offer, and it's uh, it's an incredible gift. So I thank you for my sobriety, um, and that's all I have to say. Thanks.